I'm grateful in these next few weeks that we're going to work together and look at the story of Jonah. I'm hopeful that this this series that we're going to look at will be good for us young and old, whatever your age in here, and, and we have our children with us here for the month of July. I hope that as we look into the story of Jonah, that, that new truths will emerge and that we will celebrate together um, the hope that we have from our sovereign God. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can use one of the Pew Bibles. It's page 774. Even children, I, I want to say to you, bring your Bibles with you these next few weeks because we're just going to walk through the scripture verse by verse and look at, at the whole passage of Jonah. Jonah actually is his own book. The whole story comes from his own book. He's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And we're going to walk through the story of Jonah over these next weeks. And so I'm hopeful that we can do that together. Jonah is a pretty familiar tale. In fact, as you heard this morning that we're in Jonah, or, or maybe heard it on the video update that we did this week, uh, you already began to process in your head what the story was going to be. You have a pretty good handle on it. You have a pretty good picture of it. In fact, it has become so familiar that it almost sometimes takes on the picture or the idea of a fairy tale. That it's one of those stories that we can, can chalk up as, as something we got maybe from Mother Goose or something that, that is not real, is not literal, is not an actual true story. And so I have to begin this morning by saying it is 100% true. And we say this, kids, you know this, every time that I teach at Bible school or in clubhouse, I would start the year by saying, what we read in this book, what we read in the Bible is 100% true. And there's times, like the story of Jonah, where we read it and we think, it's hard to believe. Maybe almost impossible to believe. There's other times where we read in scripture and we think, that, that just can't be the way it is. And I'm here to tell you that it is that way. And sometimes we just need to have some other parts of Scripture to tie it all together. Sometimes, sometimes we have to use some other historical documents to see it come together. And sometimes we just have to believe that it's a miracle. That miracles are miracles because they are miraculous. Because there's no other explanation for it. The prophet Jonah would have lived just a little bit after his ministry would have been happening, just a little bit after Elijah and Elisha, the other prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, or some of the other prophets. And sometimes it might be hard for us to think that Elijah could call fire from heaven to burn down a soggy altar. And yet, for many of us, it's easier to believe that story than the story of Jonah might be easier for us to believe that Elisha could pray and have the head of an axe float to the surface of the water than it is to believe that a big fish could come and swallow up a man. Sometimes we just have to believe that it's a miracle. But there's something even more important as we start this series when we talk about the literal, accurate truth of the story of Jonah a bigger reason why we can't just chalk it up to a fairy tale. 
And in fact, I, I, want you, I should have put this verse on the screen, but turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament. We cannot chalk up the story of Jonah to a fairy tale because Jesus does not chalk up the story of Jonah and the whale to a fairy tale. In fact, Jesus does something far from that. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 39 is where we'll start. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus ties his resurrection, his upcoming resurrection, to the fact that Jonah and the whale is not a fairy tale. Jonah and the big fish. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus answered them, And an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus himself says, says, not like the story that you've heard about Jonah. That's not what he says. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale or the big fish for three days and three nights, that's what my resurrection is going to be like. That's what it's going to be like for me. Jesus ties his resurrection to the truth of the story of Jonah. So, we cannot call it a fairy tale. We cannot pretend that it's something that it wasn't. We have to start there. Now, the story of Jonah is not a metaphor, it's not a parable, it's not a made-up story, but it does have a different literary function than much of the rest of Scripture. The story of Jonah isn't a metaphor or a parable, but it is a bit of satire, it is a bit of hyperbole. As you read through the story of Jonah, we're going to see a number of places where it is exactly 100% true, but it might be told in a way so as to make a special point. It might be um, exaggerated in a way, and I say exaggerated not by the idea that, that it's not true, but it might be built up in a way to make a specific point. So you'll see that, that all the way through, we'll talk about that in lots of different ways. One of, the, one of the things, and we'll talk about this a couple times this morning, in the story of Jonah, in these four chapters in Jonah, everything, every single thing in the whole story obeys God and follows God, except for one thing, Jonah, the prophet of God, does not. But everything else does. Everything. Animals, plants, water, dice, all of it, all of it obeys the Lord. And that point is made so that we can see the difference. It's an exaggerated point, not untrue, but exaggerated. So that, all of that helps us now to jump in to Jonah chapter one. That gives us kind of the background, the basis for it. Oh, one more point I should have made about that. Jesus does the same thing. He uses hyperbole a little bit in some, some of his teachings. Um, he, he'll say, uh, just, it's, it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is for him to get into heaven. Um, 
he, he talks another time about don't, don't keep the children from me. It'd be better for you to tie this millstone around your neck and, and be thrown out into the, into the sea than to, to, to keep the children away from me. Those things are 100% absolutely true, but they're built up in a way to make the specific point, to make it a bigger point, to make it more understandable. That's what the story of Jonah is like. It's 100% true, and yet it's built up in a way to help us understand the point a bit more. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. We meet Jonah, the prophet, right here in verse 1. This is not the very first time that Jonah has showed up in Scripture. We find Jonah also is in 2 Kings chapter 14. He's a prophet that is sharing to the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. Jeroboam is, a, is an evil king. And Jonah is a prophet who's sent to speak God's truth to him. And in fact, what Jeroboam does when he goes, or what Jonah does when he goes to Jeroboam, is he, he shares about how God is going to bless Jeroboam, the evil king, the one who does not follow after God. God is in fact going to bless this evil king and the borders of Israel are going to expand during his reign. Jeroboam was such an evil king that there was other, other prophets at the same time. Amos was one of them that was, was prophesying against Jeroboam at the same time that Jonah was having God speak through him to share a positive prophecy for Jeroboam. But what we find in Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah's given a different kind of call here. It's one thing to be called to go to the king of your country, even though he's an evil king, even though he, he, he doesn't follow God and, in fact, rebels against him. It's one thing to be called to go to him in your own country, in your own backyard, and give a word of the Lord than it is to go to Nineveh. The call that God gives to Jonah is to arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah knows. Jeroboam might not have followed God, but the Ninevites, the Assyrians, they were rebels against God. Not just rebels, they were the Israelites' enemies. This was kind of a downtime for the Assyrians, but they were building up. And in fact, in the, in the future of, of the Hebrew people, of the Israelite people, the Assyrians, the Ninevites are going to rise up and they're going to come and they're going to overtake Israel and overthrow Israel. They are the mortal enemies of Jonah's people. And it doesn't tell us exactly what Jonah's thinking here in this part of the scripture. It doesn't tell us his first thought. We'll get to a thought that he has in a little bit, but it doesn't tell us exactly what he's thinking here. But I would imagine, much like you and I, Jonah probably thought, there's a lot of places you can send me, God. I'll talk to, I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go to the face of the evil king of my own country, the one who, who rebels against you, and I will speak truth directly to him. I will do that, but I will not go to my enemies. Don't call me to go to my enemies. Don't call me to go there. We're not always willing. 
We're not always willing to go to our enemies. There's a whole lot of times. There's a whole lot of times that God calls us or gives us opportunity to share or to or to even just to show his love through us to those around us. And and there's a line a lot of times that we don't want to cross. Kids, sometimes when you go to the lunchroom, there are a whole lot of people that you'll sit with and visit with and connect with, but you also know there's a table or two that you will not go there. There's a line that we don't want to cross. And Jonah is being called by God to cross that line to go to his enemies. Now, we don't know all of what Jonah's thinking here. But we do see in chapter 4, if you just want to look on the next page, towards the end of the story, Jonah says this to God in in chapter 4, verse 2. He prays to the Lord and he says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It doesn't tell us in chapter 1 what he was thinking, but in chapter 4, Jonah says, God, the reason I didn't want to go is because you are loving and kind and gracious and merciful, and you are going to show love and kindness and mercy to my enemy. And so he didn't want to go. But the hope of the book of Jonah is that God, through his steadfast love, shows kindness to his enemies. Jonah's enemies are the Ninevites. But you and I, because of our own sin and selfishness, because of our own desire to want our own way, because of our own desire to live opposite of what God has called us to, because of our own desire to live unrighteous and unholy lives, because of our own innate, we're born with it, desire to want our own way, we're enemies to God. We are far from him. Our sin cannot be in the presence of God. And the hope of the book of Jonah is that God, in his steadfast love, shows kindness to his enemies and nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to thwart that plan. Nothing is going to destroy the plan that God has to show kindness to his enemies. That's good news for you and I. Because while we were still far from God, While we were still sinners, God sent his son to become sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. The hope of the book of Jonah was hope for the Ninevites, and it's hope for you and I as well. So now we begin to see what Jonah does, starting in verse 3. It says, Jonah rose... God gave him the call to go to Nineveh, and Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Three times in one verse, 
The Bible tells us that Jonah got a call from God to go to Nineveh, and he went down to take him off and flee to Tarshish. He bought a ticket to get on a boat and go to Tarshish. He was fleeing away from God to go to Tarshish. So I scoured the internet this week. Kids, you'll like this, I think. I scoured the internet this week, and I found a map. Google has a map of exactly what Jonah was trying to do. And I think we can get it on the screen here. So Jonah was at spot A right there, if you can see that. And he was called to go to spot B, which is kind of up in the far right there. That's Nineveh, if you can see that. God came to him and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to share with them and confront them. And so Jonah went out his door, and instead of turning right to go to Nineveh, he turned left to go to Joppa, which is on the sea there. And then he bought a ticket to get on a boat to go all the way to Tarshish. Do you see where Tarshish is? It's spot C, all the way on the far left-hand side of the map. Approximately 2,500 miles away. As far as he could possibly go. If you see, that's the sea, the Mediterranean Sea there. Tarshish. And we're not exactly sure where Tarshish is, but, but this was in a number of literatures that I read, commentaries that I read, said this is probably where it was in the tip of Spain. He got on a boat to go as far away as he could, the, the exact opposite, the, the farthest point of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. This trip, they say, probably would have taken more than a year, maybe a couple of years for him to get all the way from Joppa to Tarshish. Jonah was running away from God and not just a little bit. He was actively choosing to go as far away as he possibly could go. The Psalms had been written by the time of Jonah. And so he probably would have known these words that we heard this morning. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Where can I flee from your presence? Jonah disregarded Psalm 139 and said, I'm going to go as far away as I can, as fast as I can, to run from God. One commentator (laughs) said that Jonah should have realized when he arrived at the dock that day and realized he had paid his fare to get on the boat when the ship's name was the Wings of the Dawn, he should have known that he was in trouble. We don't know that that's really the name of the boat, but I like that picture that Jonah shows up and it says, even if I ride on the wings of the dawn out into the sea, you are there. Um, That's the story of Jonah. Where can I go to flee from your presence. And so, we're only three verses in, but in verse four, the story changes. What we've read so far is that Jonah 
has left, he's run, he's bought a fare, he bought a ticket to go as far away as he could go. Jonah has done all of these things, but in verse 4, the story changes. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The underlying theme that floats all over the book of Jonah, the underlying message in Jonah is that we have a sovereign God who is in charge of all things and there is nothing outside of his control. There's nothing that thwarts his plans. There is nothing that changes what he wants to do. Everything, everything in the story listens and obeys God except Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. These, these mariners, the, the, the ones that you saw on the map, they, they regularly traveled from Joppa to Tarshish for days and days, years and years on the sea. These were some of the most experienced sailors in all of that area. They head out, and a storm, the Lord hurls a tempest on them. A storm comes, and they are afraid. And it says, if you read, read in there, kids, you can read this. You can understand this picture, I think. They, they pray to their gods to save them. They pray to their gods to save them. Now, their gods are not the one true God, the one who's called Jonah, who's in charge of all of this story. Their gods instead are probably some kind of small statue or some kind of wooden figurine that they have with them. Something that maybe they bought or created to remind them of their God. It's almost kids like the sailors grabbed their stuffed animal that they were traveling with and prayed to the stuffed animal that the stuffed animal might save them. And you can guess how that went. Because stuffed animals or wooden statues or bronze figurines do not save. They're worthless in the storm. And the sailors cried out to their created statue, but they did not cry out to the creator. That is oftentimes what you and I do too. In fact, Paul tells us that we turn our eyes to created things rather than the creator. That we worship idols, we worship statues or stuffed animals. And even when it gets really bad, we cling to those things even tighter and we do not trust in the one who created the waves and the storm, the one who hurled the tempest. We don't look to him, but we look to all these other things that we can grab onto and hold onto. And the truth of the story of Jonah, the truth of all of Scripture, is that we have to turn to him. We have to look to him. The the mariners, the sailors, they're going to learn that in just a moment. But continuing on in verse 5, it says, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. Fast asleep. The storm is going, the sailors are crying out to their gods, they're throwing all the cargo over the boat, and Jonah, not just is he not helping, but he's in the bottom of the boat and he's fast asleep. Can you picture that? I don't know, maybe not everybody's like me, 
But there are moments, lots of moments as I get older, where I go to bed at night and I begin to think about things that I've done, maybe that day or maybe long ago. And they begin to weigh on me. And I feel the pressure of those things. I think of the things that I've done wrong and the ways that I have hurt people, the ways that I have disobeyed God. And that is not a night that I go fast to sleep. It's a night that I toss and turn and struggle through the evenings, through the nights. But Jonah, that's not him at all. He has heard the word of God. He's been told to go to Nineveh. He has turned his back. He's run to Joppa. He bought a ticket. He got on the boat. He went out into the water. And he didn't care at all. He was asleep, fast asleep. So much so, it's so shocking that even as the the head sailor comes down in just a moment, he can't believe that Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Yet that's what sin does to us. There's a whole lot of times where we are blind to our sin, where we have have just continued to pour it on and and to bring on more and more, and we are so far from God that we're blind to our sin. And so we oftentimes, Pastor Ron oftentimes talks about how one of the prayers of our church is that people will wake up in the middle of the night struck by their sin. Because we will not rejoice in the rescue. We will not rejoice in the Savior until we understand our need to be saved. Jonah was fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. So the captain in verse 6, the captain comes to him and says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. Captain comes down and says to Jonah, get your stuffed animal, get your figurine, cry out to him. You must have a God as well. Let's get all, let's pray to all of our gods because one of them might rescue us. One of them might save us. And so Jonah comes onto the deck of the boat. And then in verse seven, all of them say together to one another, come, let us cast lots that we might know on whose account the evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Again, every single thing in the entire story obeys God. They cast lots, which is probably some kind of colored rocks that they would have thrown much like we would throw dice. And the numbers came up, the colors came up. So it was obvious to everyone that was there that Jonah was the reason this storm had come. And so they say in verse 8, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? How did you bring this on us? They're saying. And he says to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid they bring him up he's the reason the lot fell to him they say who in the world are you and what have you done to make this happen and his response the reluctant prophet who doesn't want to share about the goodness of our God the reluctant prophet has a truth to share he says I'm a Hebrew I fear the Lord the God of heaven the one who made the sea and the dry land 
And instantly, the sailors who are in the midst of a storm so strong that they're throwing all their cargo overboard, they've prayed to all their gods, they woke up Jonah to pray to his god, they're scared, super scared, I would say. And now, they're terrified. Because they've heard. They didn't worship the one true God. They had their own stuffed animals with them. But they know. They know what they've heard about the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. They are terrified. And they say to Jonah, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had previously told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that this sea may quiet down? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. The storm was getting bigger. And they said, what, what do we have to do to fix this? What have you brought on us? And Jonah at this point, I, I think Jonah at this point could have said, I am rebelling against God. He told me to go to Nineveh. I instead ran to Joppa. I bought a ticket, got on your boat. I'm headed to Tarshish as far away, but I repent of what I'm doing and I will do exactly what God has called me to do. I repent. I forgive God, forgive me of my sin. And if he would have done that, he could have done that. If he'd have done that, the storm probably would have stopped. But that's not what Jonah does. And a lot of times when we're first confronted with our sin, that's not what we do either. We double down on it. We dive in all the farther. We go for it all the more. We make it a little bit worse instead of any better. And Jonah does that exact same thing. He says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah, Jonah tries one more attempt here to run from God. He turned left instead of right. When he walked out his door, he went to Joppa, he bought a ticket, he got on the boat. And now, instead of saying, take me back to the shore and I will go do what I was supposed to do in the first place. He says, Throw me over. This storm is so bad that when you throw me over, I'm going to die and I don't have to go to Nineveh. I don't have to do what God has called me to do. Throw me over. Hurl me into the sea. You guys will be better off. You'll be fine. And I'll escape the call that God's given to me. Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. The sea will quiet down for you. And the sailors... It doesn't tell us in verse 13 that the sailors grab him and throw him over so that they're rescued and relieved from the storm. Instead, it tells us in verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The storm got bigger and bigger. They heard Jonah. They heard what he told them to do and what would fix the problem, but instead... They said, if we just try a little harder, if we just get out the paddles and we row with all of our might, we can fix this. We can do it. We can win the battle against God and against the storm. If we just row harder, if we just do it with all our might, we'll get back to the shore. And yet the answer 
to us, as we know the story, is not row harder. Not work harder. Not put more of our own efforts into it. The story is to listen and obey. The story is to find the hope that God has provided for us in the sacrifice of Christ. That's what happens with the sailors. In verse 14 it says, Therefore they call out to the Lord, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life. Lay not on us his innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The sailors decided that they had to trust in what Jonah was telling them. They had to trust in the sacrifice of one man, the death, that's what they assume will happen as they throw him overboard. They have to trust that the death of this one man will save the rest of them. So they pick up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. They throw him in and instantly, instantly, in the blink of an eye, they're saved. They're instantly saved. And that saving leads directly into worship. They immediately, it says, they immediately offer sacrifices to the Lord and they make vows. Their rescue turns into worship when they see what God has done to save them. And then in verse 17 it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Verse 17 says, but God. Jonah had these plans, the sailors had these plans, they threw him over, but God had another plan. Jonah was hoping that he'd perish in the water. The sailors assumed that he would, but God had a different plan. We'll talk about this more next week when we look at chapter 2. But I think kids, I, I don't know if this is true for you guys, but I grew up think, seeing the pictures and thinking about how Jonah was swallowed by this great giant fish. He was in the belly of the fish, but he was able to gather up some firewood and create a little fire and warm his hands. And have you seen those pictures? That's not what it was like, I don't think. Now, I, we, don't have, we don't have a real picture. I'm gonna, I, I can scour Google this week, but I don't think I'll be able to find a picture actual picture of what Jonah was like in the whale, but my guess is he was swallowed and stuck in the whale's throat and it would not it would not have been fun. He didn't have a little fire to warm himself by. It was pretty gross. We'll talk about that more next week. Every chapter in Jonah, every message that comes from Jonah ends with this question, ends with this idea. What will Jonah do now? Jonah's been tossed over. He he was hoping to die. He was hoping to escape from God's call. But God sent a fish to swallow him up. What will Jonah do now? Will he repent? Will he go exactly and do exactly what God has called him to do? Will he rejoice? Will he rejoice in the grace that God has given to him by making him get stuck in the throat of the whale or of the big fish? Will he rejoice in that grace? What will Jonah do now? That's the question we end with. 
But we also have to end with this question. What will we do now? The story of Jonah tells us that the sovereign God who is in charge of all things, in his steadfast love, has provided rescue through the death and resurrection, through the sacrifice of one man, his son, Jesus Christ, so that all of his enemies, you and me, might see and know his steadfast love, that we might be rescued, that we might be saved, and that we might have life. Our hope today is only in Jesus. The hope for Jonah, the hope for Jonah was in the one who was to come, the God who was working everything together from the beginning of time all the way through so that he might be saved. The God that did that, the God who rescued Jonah in the belly of a large fish, it's the same God who rescues you and I. We're going to celebrate that these next weeks. We're going to trust in that these next weeks as we look at this story. The worship team this morning is going to come and lead us. We're going to sing a little bit here about the grace and peace of God that he has provided for us while we were still sinners, while we were lost. Christ died for us. While we were his enemy, Christ died for us. And so we rejoice today in the hope that we have. Please stand with me this morning as the worship team leads us. Grace and peace, oh, how can this be? For lawbreakers and thieves, for the worthless the least. You have said that our judgment is dead for all eternity. Without hope, without rest Oh, what an amazing mystery What an amazing mystery That your grace has come to me and peace oh how can this be the matchless king of all paid the blood price for me slaughtered lamb what atonement you bring the vilest sinner's heart be cleansed can be free. Oh, what an amazing mystery! What an amazing mystery 
that your grace has come to me. of gratefulness ever rise never cease loved by God and called as a saint my heart is satisfied in the riches of Christ oh what an amazing mystery what an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. What an amazing love I see, what an amazing love I see, that your grace has come to me. Oh, what an amazing love I see, what an amazing love I see, that your grace has come to me. Your grace has come to me. God, may we trust, may we rest in your grace this week, that your grace has come to us, that we, as Jonah said, have a gracious God who is merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, that you, God, rescue and save your people. And we can trust in that. We pray these things today in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.